book of John, chapter number four, verse number three. Very familiar passage of scripture. If you found it, say amen. amen. He left Judea, speaking about Jesus. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, which are near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The Bible says in verse number six, now Jacob's well was there. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the subject, there is a well in Samaria. Look at somebody and tell them there is a well in Samaria. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your presence. God, I pray, Lord, anoint me to preach, anoint ears to hear. I pray, confirm your word with signs following. Let there be a mighty anointing of the Holy Ghost that fills this place. God, not by power and not by might, but by your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a great hand clap of praise and lift your voice before you see. In many places, the land of Israel is a very dry, parched land. In this land, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rarely had want of pasture land. But very often, even though there was grass, there was very often a shortage of water. It was in a narrow valley between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, that Jacob brought his flocks and his family. This particular valley was lush with grass for feeding, but lacked an obvious supply of water for the flocks. No rivers or streams or lakes. Jacob understood that if there's grass in the valley, then there must be water underground somewhere. And so he instructed his shepherds to dig in that desert land with pains taking care and back breaking labor 
these men dug through the limestone and sediment, not striking water for over 110 feet. From this deep well, Jacob supplied his family and his flocks. Even in times of drought, that well never ran dry. This well literally saved the lives of Jacob and his family. From this well, his flocks were watered. Jacob then passed this piece of land on to his son Joseph and his descendants as their ancestral homeland. The well that Jacob's men dug all those years ago still survives to this day and water still flows in that same well after all of the centuries of hardship there's still water in that well today. It was this same well that encouraged the hearts of Jacob's descendants while they pined away in Egyptian captivity. Though they were far away, their mind longed for the well of Jacob. Though they were in bondage, they knew that in God's land there was still life-giving water in the well. It was at this location that Jacob had had this well dug that centuries later, Moses gave a command to the children of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness that when you return to Canaan land, go back to this valley and go back to that well. It was in this valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that Moses instructed them, when you go into the promised land, build an altar. And when you build that altar, write on that altar the laws of the, of that God has given us. And then when you write on that altar... Take six tribes and put them on Mount Gerizim on one side and six tribes on Mount Ebal on the other side. And there they were to recite the blessings and the curses from the law of God. After all the years wandering in the wilderness, Joshua finally led God's people over the Jordan River and into the promised land. And soon after, they made their way to this valley, to this ancient well that had been dug by Jacob and his shepherds. And they did exactly as Moses had commanded. When the priests read the blessings, the tribes that were on Mount Gerizim were instructed to say amen when they called the blessings of the Lord. And then when the priest read the consequences of sin and the curses that came from disobeying God's command, all the tribes on Mount Ebal were required also to shout amen. They learned at that point that serving God is neither all blessings and it's not all judgment. But when you do right, you get blessed. And when you sin, there's consequences to disobedience. Many would like 
for the pastor to simply preach the blessings of God. And when he does, they say amen. But there are others that they only want the pastor to preach the curses of God. And when he does that, they say amen. There's some people that if I'm preaching miracles and healing, man, they're ready to shout. But they don't want to hear it when we preach the law of God. And there's other people, man, you can't preach it hard enough for them. The meaner you are, the more they like it. I'm here to say that the truth is that serving God is both blessings and curses. And it comes down to if you obey the word of God and if you trust in his word. To both messages, the people are to shout amen. When we have a preacher, whether it's myself Bishop Wilson, one of our ministers or an evangelist, and they come and they preach about the blessings of God. You ought to shout and stand to your feet and say, praise the Lord. I receive the blessings of God's word. But if it's me or guest or the bishop ever comes to the pulpit and preaches a message of repentance, you ought to say amen and turn and rend your hearts because we need both if we're going to make it to heaven. Oh, yes. It was in this valley that God gave correction. And it was in this valley that God gave blessings. And in this valley, there is this life-giving well that has never, ever run dry. Through drought, the water still flows. Through war, the water still flows. In distress, in trial, in tribulation, that water from that deep well that the patriarch dug all those centuries ago, that water still flows. And can I tell you that if you ever come to a well that you learn produces over and over, time after time, you ought to dig in and grab hold of that well. That's why you need the church. Over 70, nearly 80 years, this church has proven to be a place where people find blessings and direction and correction and joy and peace. And when you find a well in the wilderness, you need to embrace it and say, God, thank you that I found the well. Oh, somebody ought to praise him right now. The deep well of Jacob continually flows with life-giving water. Over time, people have come and gone from Israel, but the water still flows in that well. Conquering armies have risen and fallen, but the water still flows in the well. Politicians came and went. High priests came and went. Conquerors came and went. Centuries have come and gone. Generations have been born and passed into history. But through all of that, there is still water in the well that Jacob dug all those years ago. It was at this same exact location where Jesus traveled in John chapter number four, where he met this particular lady that we have come to know as the woman at the well but more likely, you've heard her called the woman of ill repute, the woman with the bad reputation. We never learned her name. We don't really know anything about her other than she was a Samaritan lady that had, had a rough life, five husbands, and was at that moment 
that she met Jesus living with another woman's husband. This particular woman found that even for her, there was still water in the well. It wasn't only for Jacob and the patriarchs. It wasn't only for Joseph's descendants. But there was water in the well for a woman whose life hadn't turned out like her parents had dreamed that it would. The water in the well doesn't discriminate over who pulls the water up out of the well. You could be a king or a pauper, but the water still comes up in the bucket. You could be a politician or you could be in the poorhouse, but water still comes up from the bucket. You might be the worst of all society or you may be the purest person there's ever been. But when somebody draws from that deep well, the water doesn't discriminate. The water is for anybody that's willing to pull it up out of the well. This particular lady found that even for her, there was water in Jacob's well, giving her life and hope. On that particular day when she went to the well at noon, she went to get water. But what she found was so much more than a drink of water. On that day, her destiny changed. On that day, revival came, not only to her, but to all of Samaria. On that day, eternity was changed. New stories were written. It was a miracle that almost didn't happen. What Jesus did that day was highly unusual for his time. The shortest route from Judea to Galilee was to travel the Samaritan road between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that would take you right by the well of Jacob. For us in our day, to take a little bit of a detour is not really that big of a deal. But in those days, it was a big deal. For us to go a couple of miles out of the way, a few miles out of the way in an air-conditioned car, it's not a big deal. But for an ancient traveler walking on foot in a rugged land without good roads, those few extra miles were a significant difficulty. But the Jews willingly accepted this difficulty, willing to take the longer route that went through an area known as Perea for one reason and one reason only, because they hated the Samaritans. The land Perea means the land beyond. They were willing to go to the land beyond to avoid having to walk by the Samaritans. Perea was on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. In the times of Christ, the Jews who needed to go north to Galilee would go out of their way to the east, cross the Jordan River, travel through Perea, and then turn west and cross back over the Jordan River. All of that simply to avoid having to deal with Samaritans. This detour in modern times is an inconvenience. The other night I was driving, I was driving back and I was coming down out of, uh, out of Jackson and Bolivar Tennessee and coming down and when I got to where 72 and, and Highway 7 cross each other, they're doing all kinds of construction there. And so it sent me on this detour 
and it sent me towards Memphis, it was maybe half a mile. But I was so aggravated, it was night, and I was tired, and I was just a little bit of an inconvenience. I just had to go maybe half a mile out of the way, cross over the highway, come half a mile back, and then get on my way. But just the, the, the frustration, and to be honest, it's not well lit, and there's not a lot of good signs, and we need to do better than that. But see, it's bubbling right up back out. I thought I had it under the blood, and it's coming right back. I need to go to the well. It was just a minor inconvenience. It maybe cost me a couple of extra minutes. But when they went across Jordan through Perea, north and back around, it wasn't just a minor inconvenience. It was a significant inconvenience. It was a whole lot of hassle just because of hatred. They went through Perea only because they hated Samaritans. There was a long-standing hatred between Samaritans and Jews. Are you all with me this morning? In 700 B.C., Sargon, the king of Assyria, took 25,000 Jews captive out of Samaria and deposited 25,000 idol worshipers into the same land. He did it to fundamentally change the character of the land. These people that were sent by Sargon became known as Samaritans, and the Jews hated them. The descendants of these original Samaritans worked with the enemies of God to hinder the rebuilding of Jerusalem. They gave aid to Alexander the Great in his conquest of Israel. To add insult to injury, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim to compete with the temple in Jerusalem. And all of these were good reasons to be upset. They were good reasons to have an issue, but it wasn't a good reason to let hate mess up your entire journey. And because of these reasons, the Jews felt justified in taking this route around Samaria rather than to go through it. But the Bible says, the Bible said that Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. The disciples didn't necessarily like it. They preferred the other route where we don't have to deal with any of these Samaritans. We don't have to deal with any of these people that we don't like that are different from us. Amen. Y'all didn't want to get preached to today, did you? We'd rather go out of our way to avoid having to deal with people that have these issues that we don't have. And so we'll go all the way around so that we don't have to rub shoulders with people that don't have the same relationship with God that we have and the same lifestyle that we have. And so we'll go out of our way to avoid them. But the problem is that when you go that far out of your way to avoid people, you also are going that far away from the well. And every step that got you away from the Samaritan got you further from a well that can save your life in a bad, difficult time. Jesus said, I can't go around Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. There was only one reason 
when you see the story play out, there's only one reason that Jesus went through Samaria. It's because there was a singular woman that was going to be at that well. There's no stories of great miracles that happened for anybody else. There's just this one singular woman who has had a terrible life. She's been with five husbands. She's living with a man that's not her own right now. Nobody. Now, look, I remember. I remember, man, I love my daughters. I love my girls. And I remember when my wife was, was, was carrying Ellie, and I would put my hand on my wife's belly And I would pray, God, I prayed everything. I said, God, make her beautiful. God, give her talent. God, help her be this and help her be that. Man, I prayed everything. One night, my wife laughed at me about all the stuff I was praying. And I said, I want it all. And praise God, I got it all. Hallelujah. And then when Kate came along, I prayed the same kind of prayers. I'd put my hand on my wife's belly and I would say stuff like, God, help them to love worship and help them to love the truth and help them to love the church and help them to love holiness and help them to love prayer, help them to love soul winning. I prayed everything I could pray. Amen. Because I believe in the power of prayer and I would speak stuff over these babies while they were in the womb. Amen. Praise God. And, and because I had hopes and dreams for my children, I'm going to tell you that this lady that was at the well, her parents never held her when she was a baby and looked down in her eyes and said, man, I hope she has five husbands and then lives with somebody else's husband. I don't think they ever held her and dreamed. I hope she gets her heart broken. I hope she gets abused by men all across this land. I hope that that, that, that when, that, you know, like, 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 like Ellie, when Kate was a baby one time, Kate was, she, she had this thing called Kate speak. And I would, she had all these speech impediments. And, and, and I would always put on like Facebook or, or, or what, Twitter, Twitter and uh, Instagram. I would always put these little things in the way that she would say them. And people loved it. And all over, I'd take her with me, and they'd say, they, they, Kate was just a little, a little booger, and they'd come up to her, are you Kate from Kate Speak? And she said, Daddy, it's so good to be famous. <laughs> One time I'm holding her hand, and somebody come up and said, you're Kate from Kate Speak, aren't you? She said, yes. And then when they left, she said, Daddy, I want to be so famous <laughs> that when people see Ellie, they say, that's Kate Thistle. I'll never forget when she went in speech pathology and they finally taught her how to say her S's. She came home and she said, Daddy, I can say my S's now, but if you want me to say them the old way at home for you, I will. <laughs> this lady's parents didn't hold her as a baby and dream that her life would be that broken. Austin, I watch you with that little baby girl you have, and I watch you look at her the way that only a new dad can look at a baby. This, this girl's parents never held her and said, I hope she gets abused and thrown out by men. I hope that 
when she dreams of a good relationship that her dreams are crushed not once, not twice, not three or four times, but over and over again. Five husbands and the one she's with now is not her own. Rejected over and over. Again, we don't know. The, the, the Bible, the history books didn't call her, you know, Susie or Sally. You look in some of your Bibles where at the top it says what's on that page. Sometimes you'll go to your Bible and say the woman of ill repute. For 2,000 years people have only known her by all the stuff that went wrong in her life. She's just the person with a bad reputation. Never known for any other reason than how her life was just messed up. But Jesus said, I'll change my direction to come across a lady that needs to learn that there's more to love than rejection. I must needs go through Samaria. You see, all those other guys didn't think she was worth going out of the way for, so they just kicked her to the curb and threw her away. But I got to go, I got to change the mindset of my own disciples to go to find just this one person whose life is so messed up that they feel like nobody cares about them and nobody, but that's the kind of person I'm going to change my whole routine just to go after. And the Bible said, then cometh he, John 4 and 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground where Jacob gave to his son. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And here we find the problem with taking a different route. To go around Samaria was to make a decision to avoid their homeland, to avoid the well. And here they come, this lady comes to the well, and here's Jesus. And when she sees Jesus in her mind, she's thinking, here we go again. Here's another Jewish man that's just going to talk about how dirty I am. And when he says, give me to drink, she looks at him and she says, Sir, how is it that thou, being a Jew, would ask a drink of me, a woman from Samaria? Notice this phrase, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Amen. Man, I want to do a lot of preaching here. I'm just not sure you want me to do a lot of preaching. But when you look at it, the Jews were God's people. They were God's church in the world. The reason that God blessed them all the way back in Genesis chapter number 12, he blessed them because the Bible said through them all the families of the earth would be blessed. God blessed Israel to bless the world. But here is this group of people that are supposed to be the light to the world. You don't want me to preach it. They're supposed to be the ones that extend the love of God to the world. They're supposed to be the ones that say, our God is gracious and merciful and loving. But when a sinner sees one of them, they say, you have nothing to do with us. God help us. If anybody from this church ever goes through this community and somebody looks at them and says, they think they're too good for us. 
the Pentecostals, the apostolics from Bethlehem Church get a reputation that we're too good to help a drug addict, that we're too good to help somebody broken. Oh, God, don't let anybody look at us and think that we're above reaching for somebody that needs God. You understand, you understand, I'm not blaming Jesus for this. Jesus, it wasn't his fault that the Jews got that reputation. And I'm not blaming you all, but let's just face it. Religious people in the world have looked at sinners and thought, we don't want them around us. We're too good for them. And I know it's not us, but the religious world has earned that reputation. And it's up to us to break that stigma by reaching the people just like. Come on, you got to help me preach it. Because someday you might want somebody to reach for your grandchild. You might want somebody to reach for your boy or girl. God forbid that you might take a wrong turn and you need somebody to reach for you. We got to overcome the stigma. How is it that you being a Jew would have any dealings with me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? And then he tells her, and I'm all, I'm, I'm all out of order on my notes. John 4 and 7, then cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. We've already done that. Lord, I'm ahead of schedule. I can slow down. Jesus in John 4 and 13, Jesus answered, answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. If you keep coming back to a worldly well, you're going to get thirsty again. And then he says in verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He told her, you've been drinking from the wrong well all your life. That's why you keep getting thirsty. You keep looking for satisfaction in the wrong well. You keep looking for peace in the wrong well. You keep looking for fulfillment in the wrong well. And if you keep going back to the wells of this world to find who you're supposed to be, you're going to be thirsty for the rest of your life. But if you'll drink of the water that I'll give you, he said, it'll be in you. You won't have to go to the well. I'll put the well in you. And it'll be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I'd like to just go ahead and take a time out and say I found that well myself. When I found the Holy Ghost and I lived for God, I found that I could have peace in the middle of a storm, that when life is raging all around, there's something not on the outside but on the inside. You keep going to the world for peace, you're going to be empty again. You keep going to drugs, alcohol, people to be satisfied. You're going to be empty again tomorrow. It's going to take more the next time. It's going to take another drug. It's going to take another drink. It's going to take somebody else. And then when all that's over, you're going to be just like this woman at the well that's gone through relationship after relationship and found there's no satisfaction in this world. He said, the water that I give is going to be in you a well of living water. 
It's going to be in you. That word in, in the Greek, it means a fixed position, no movement, permanent. He said, I'm going to put a permanent well inside of you that will continually be flowing and it will never run dry. That well will be fixed inside of you. It'll be permanent inside of you. And though the world rages all around, you can still have a well of joy. Anybody found what I'm preaching to be true? That you found that as long as you were getting your peace from the world, it evaporated the next day. But when you got the Holy Ghost in you, you found out you can make it through stuff you haven't ever dreamed you can make it through it's because it's a fixed permanent well he doesn't give it to you on Sunday morning and then snatch it away later it's fixed inside of you he said I'll be he said the water I'll give shall be in you a well of living water this lady when she was talking to him she said when he said I'll give you a drink of water she said the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with it's very famous well. That water ranges between 110 to 130 feet below ground level. That's a deep well. And here's Jesus sitting on the well. He doesn't have a bucket, doesn't have a rope, and he's just sitting on the well, and it's 110 feet down to the water, and he says, I'll give you a drink of water, and she looks at him, and she says, Sir, the well is deep. You have nothing to draw with. You have no way to help me. When she said the word well, she used a word that's translated. It's the word, it's, it's the word Ferrar. The word Ferrar, it means a prison, a pit, or an abyss. She says, sir, this prison, this abyss, this pit is deep, and you have nothing to draw with. You don't have anything that can get the water to that from that from where I am. I'm so far gone. My pit is too deep. My prison is too deep. The abyss is too deep, and you've got nothing that can help me. Can I tell somebody that maybe you walk, you found your way to the house of God, and you feel like the situations in your life are so bad that there's nothing that can help you. My circumstance is so out of my control, there's nothing that can help. My prison, my pit is so deep, and there's nothing that can help me. I've come to tell you, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right place today because there's no such thing as a pit that's too deep that Jesus can't get water for you. You've not got a prison that's so deep. Oh, hallelujah. I talked to a man this morning that's in prison right now, and I told him, I said, God can touch you right there. I'm telling you that no matter where you're at, you're not so deep that God can't reach you. When you were bound in addiction, your prison wasn't so deep that God couldn't reach down. And aren't you glad we got a God that's, that specializes in deep pits and prisons? Do I have anybody here that you know your prison was deep? You know your pit was deep. And you know that there was nothing a man could do to set you free. But his hand reached further down than you could reach up. Oh, somebody ought to praise him right now. I'm preaching to some people that were in some deep pits and deep abysses and deep prisons. Oh, lift your hands to heaven. Oh, hallelujah. I'm preaching to some folks that your depression was so deep that maybe you even told God there's nobody that can help me. Anybody ever been in a situation where you felt like you were so far gone 
But there was no saving, there was no deliverance. I look around this room and I see people. Reminds me of a story where this traveler was going, he went through this, this town and he went through this little mountain village and he went in this village and he looked around and he wasn't very impressed. And so he went up to this old man sitting in the sun and he said, old man, were there any great men born in this city? And the old man looked at him, he said, no, only babies. <laughs> I look around this room and I see people that are living a great life now, but it hadn't always been that way. I'm looking at some people that if if there was a page in the Bible with your name on it, the top might say the woman of, or the man of addiction, the man of meth addiction, the woman of cocaine addiction. I look around this room, Brother Austin, and what I see is the byproduct of a God that can reach into the deepest prison and pit and pull people out. You, you got to just let me preach to you a little bit today. I got a lot of stuff in here that I'm struggling to find a way to get it out there. But I'm looking around this room at people that the world would have said they're not worth messing with. Don't go to Samaria for her. She's a mess. Don't go to Samaria for him. He's hopeless. Don't go to Samaria for her. There, she'll never amount to anything. She's already had five husbands, and she's lived. And, 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 and you look, and how many people have been written off, but here you stand in the house of God, a product of a Savior that says, I'll go to Samaria. It doesn't matter what your reputation is doesn't matter what people talk about you or say about you. I'll reach all the way down. And she said, sir, the prison, the Ferrar, the Greek word is Ferrar, the prison, the abyss, the pit is deep. And you have nothing to draw with. Can I ask some of you guys that have come so far? Tim, I looked up and I saw you. You don't like to be pointed out, but I pointed you out. Faithfully, every Sunday, coming to church for years after year after year after year. I remember something you told me years ago. It's probably been 17, 18 years ago. You told me how messed up your life was. And he told me, he said, I tried everything, and the only thing that worked was Bethlehem. So I'm telling the people that are newly coming out of addiction and you're wondering if you can make it, wave your hand at him, Tim, and let him know that 18 years later that the prison was not too deep. The abyss was not too deep for a savior that's willing to go through Samaria to find somebody 
for a Savior that's willing to go through Samaria to find somebody who needs water from the well. I'm just looking around. I'm just looking around. David, I see you standing there crying because I know I know the stories about a pastor's kid living under a bridge, strung out on drugs, out of his mind, without hope. A pastor's kid who didn't belong living under a bridge, hopeless, strung out on drugs. And if you were to ask anybody in the world, they say, don't go to Samaria for him. He's a lost cause. He's hopeless, but there's a Savior that said, I got to go to a bridge. I got to go to a bridge in Pensacola because there's somebody, there's a Samaritan under there. That prison's not too deep. The well's not too deep. Woo, hallelujah. I wish somebody that's found mercy would raise their hand and say, thank you, God. You went out of your way to find me. You know the worst thing? You know the worst thing about being the woman at the well? It's the lack of hope. See? I mean, she's standing there looking in the face of the one that John chapter number one said made all things and without him was not anything made that was made the word made flesh she was looking in the very face of the one that spoke the worlds into existence and she was in such a bad condition that when she looked in the face of god she said i've got no hope the well's deep, and you have nothing that can help me. I've tried every program. I've tried every church. Carrie, I remember the first night that you came and got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. I remember when you came, you told me, you said, I've been baptized. You said, I've been baptized, and you started naming like, like five baptisms or something, if I remember right. And he said, and it never worked. He said, but when I got the Holy Ghost, it changed everything. I'm going to what I'm trying to tell somebody is you are not beyond hope. Regardless of how bad the situation is, you are not beyond hope. And let me tell you something else. Other churches may not want you, but we do. Other places may not want you but we do. If we got to go through Samaria to get you, that's what we'll do. We'll send somebody after you if that's what we got to do because that is what God has called us to be. She said, my prison's too deep. Oh, hallelujah. Did you ever think three weeks ago that you'd be sitting here in the presence of God did you think three weeks ago when it was hopeless that you'd be sitting here full of the Holy Ghost with hope? <laughs> to some, he was just a woman at the well, so to speak. 
To some, he was just a hopeless cause. But Jesus said, I'll go down there. I'll go down there if that's what I got to do because the prison's not too deep. The abyss is not too deep. The pit's not too deep. And you may not think there's anything that can help, but you just give Jesus a chance. I got to close. I got to close. Musicians got to come. I got to stop preaching. I've been going too long already. Somebody say amen. I tricked you into saying that one, didn't I? She said, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. From whence then hast thou this living water? And he said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But, if you, but whosoever, verse 14, John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a shout well. Come on, shout well. I want you to shout well as loud as you can shout it well. He said, he, she said, my well is deep. She used Ferrar. It means a prison, an abyss, a pit. But when he answered her, he did not use the same word. He used a different Greek word, and the word is pege. And when he said, she said, my prison, my abyss is deep, and you have nothing to draw with. But when he answered her, he said, the, he said it'll be in you a well. But the word he used is the word pege, which means a fountain. You bring me your prison, and I'll put a fountain inside of you. You bring me your pit, and I'll put a fountain inside of you. You bring me your abyss, and I'll pick you up, and I'll put a well of living water inside of you. Hey, I wish somebody would understand what I'm preaching this morning. What I'm preaching is you may be in Samaria, but there's a well for you in Samaria. It'll be in you a well, a fountain. You said your prison is deep. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to take your prison. I'm going to replace it with a fountain that springs up to everlasting life. I had somebody ask me the other day, Pastor, you know anybody selling a car? I said, well, I don't. He said, I, he said, I could go to a dealership, but I just feel like if they let me drive off, I'm getting a bad deal and they're getting a good one. He said, I'm not good at trading. Let me tell you, Jesus ain't good at trading either. Because he willingly gets the worst end of the deal every time. Give me your burdens. I'll give you peace. That's a bad trade for him, but it's a great trade for me. Bring me your sins, and I'll give you grace. Bring me your heartache, and I'll give you peace that passes understanding. Bring me your brokenness, and I'll make you whole. Bring me your pit, and I'll give you a fountain. Bring me your prison, and I'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. I've just come to tell somebody there's a well in Samaria. There's a well in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your circumstance. There's a well flowing for you. 
Jesus didn't make her leave Samaria to come get the water. He took the water to right where she is. Don't tell me, but pastor, I'll get it. When I get my life together, I'll come. That's not the business Jesus is in. He put the well in Samaria. You just come just like you are. You come just how you are. You bring it to the altar. You bring it to the cross, and he'll trade. He'll make that trade. There's a well today for somebody. I wish somebody would raise your hand to heaven and say, God, thank you that you made a trade with me. Thank you that you made a trade for my life. Why don't you stand with me and lift your hands to heaven? This, this woman, my last verse, John 4 and 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Give me that drink of water. As your hands are lifted all over this place. Brother Danny, you said something when you were leading the service this morning. You talked about how the presence of God is here, the goodness of God is here, but you have to accept it. It did this woman no good. To be standing right there in front of Jesus and hear about the well and turn around and walk away. It was this simple act. Give me this water that unlocked the rest of her life. And she went from being a byword in history being a testimony that no one's gone too far no one's too dirty no one's too broken no one's too messed up she went from being just another footnote in history forgotten forever to being somebody that 2,000 years later people find hope in her story because she said sir Give me this water. As your eyes are closed all over this place, and your hands are lifted to heaven, I've come to ask somebody. I've come to ask you if you feel like there's some area of your life that feels like a prison, a pit, an abyss. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying, and I keep getting broken and disappointed. Five husbands. The sixth one is somebody else's. But she met the seventh man at the well. And that same seventh man is here right now. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care what your past has been like. He understands. It doesn't matter to him what your reputation in the world might be. It doesn't matter to him how many failures are on your record, how many times you've messed up. 
how many times that it didn't work out. He's not here to ask you how deep your prison and abyss is. He just says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As your eyes are closed all over this place, I'm getting ready to make an appeal to the altar. I'm not only asking for sinners. I'm not only asking for the woman of ill repute to make her way down the aisle. I'm asking for anyone who has a situation in life that feels hopeless, that feels like a pit. You feel like you're stuck in a prison. Maybe it's depression or anxiety or financial trouble or a health issue. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's life. If you keep going to the world's well, you're going to find that it's never going to satisfy you. You can't drown out a spiritual problem with a drug or a beverage or a person. No amount of positive thinking and affirmations can take away a spiritual issue. You got to have Jesus, the seventh man on the well at the seventh hour. And so while your hands are lifted, I want to invite anybody that wants to come to this altar for anything. The well is deep, Lord. Come on, they're coming from all over. Whatever your situation, whatever your issue, whatever your trial, whatever your burden, whatever it is that's troubling you, that's the trial that's got you, the worry, the stress, the failure, the shame. Go ahead and bring it. We got time. We're not in a hurry. You can come. Just bring it to the altar. There's a seventh man at the altar. And there's life-giving water that still flows. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're not praying for yourself, find somebody to pray with. Just slip up behind somebody and put your hand on their shoulder and let them know. You're not alone. Oh, there's a well here this morning. They're getting ready to sing, but before they do, I just want you to spend some time talking to the Lord. God, I need the water. Do what exactly what the lady said. Sir, give me this water. Give me a drink of this water. Give me a drink of this water. My family needs a drink. My marriage needs a drink. My children need a drink. Oh, come on. Lift your voices and pray all over this place. Sir, give me this water. You can say it exactly like that. He knows what you mean. He knows what you're doing. Give me this water, Lord. Somebody can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost this morning. You can be baptized in Jesus' name and have your sins washed away. Oh, Holy Ghost, have your way. That's right. Reach over, pray for somebody. You don't have to know their well. You don't have to know what their prison is. You don't have to know what their abyss is. You don't have to know what their trial is because you know the seventh man. Just say in Jesus' name.
God, let water come from the well today. Are you hurting and broken within? Oh, Jesus. Overwhelmed by the weight Jesus. of sin. Jesus is calling. Jesus. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come.
Amen to this word this morning. Pastor V, as always, preached a masterpiece. We're all in different walks of life, but we all have issues. Amen. And this is one that can penetrate the closest one to God or the one furthest away from God. It touched my heart this morning. We all have issues, but let's take those issues and let God issue a new issue of living water running through us. Amen. Let's replace it with his issues. Amen. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock for prayer, 6.30 church. We have meet and greet immediately after service. Go back there and through the vestibule, through the prayer room, the far right corner. And uh, Brother Travis has something he wants to say just real quick. You know... I thank God so much because one month ago today, God healed me of neuropathy. And listen, people, for the past two years, I couldn't stand up five minutes without my legs going numb and going to sleep, burning and tingling, the most horrible pain I have ever felt. I have even begged God to take them off. I told him, I said, God, if you can't heal me, please take them legs off. I don't care how you do it, just do it. But four weeks ago on a Sunday night, I was sitting out in the car and the evangelist said, there's a man sitting out there in the car that's got neuropathy so bad till he can't walk. If he'll get out and come under this tent, God will heal him. My wife told me, she said, Travis, you need to, I said, I'm opening the door and getting out now. From walking to that car to inside that church, I hurt so bad. But the moment I stepped inside that church, that pain went away, y'all. And I could not do this right here. I could not do this at all. If I did, I would fall on my face. I would fall on my face if I did. I thank God for it. And I told God, I told God then, I said, Lord, no matter where I'm at, no matter what kind of church I'm in, they're going to hear my testimony. They're going to hear it. They might throw me out, but I'll come right back in. Because God healed me from one of the worstest pains. I've had cancer, everything else, but that was the worstest pain I've ever went through in my entire life. And I thank God so much for it. The world will hear it. If they don't listen to it, I'll tell them anyway. Amen. We still serve a miraculous working God. Hallelujah. These signs shall follow those that believe. Amen. We're still seeing the miraculous. Come again tonight, 630, 6 o'clock prayer. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus.